going to be looking at this last chapter, believe it or not, the last chapter of the book of Zechariah. I know everybody's sad that, you know, we're finally reaching after 14 weeks, reaching the end of Zechariah can move on to something new, and, and everybody's sitting there saying, oh, all good things must come to an end, right? <laughs> Isn't that how that works? Um, but let's look to God's Word this morning. Uh, Zechariah 14 is a great chapter in the Bible. Um, if you've never read through the Bible or have never read Zechariah 14, I encourage you to open up your Bibles. Look at this chapter. Um, hear what God's Word is saying. And I'm going to go through and, and explain some of it as we walk through this. But um, a glorious, wonderful chapter. Um, one for us to take home, put in the bank type of chapter. God's Word says, A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will be like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate to the corner gate and from the Tower of Henenel to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. And a similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and on the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. 
Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And to all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day there will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you speak to us through your word, through this last chapter of Zechariah. As we study through this, continue to speak to us. Help us to understand language that was written centuries ago. To understand the imagery that is there before us. To understand this prophecy that Zechariah brought forth. And be able to apply it to our lives. And understand where we sit in our relationship with you. Speak to our hearts and may we find ourselves serving you and looking forward to that day. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, here we are. We are in week 14. Uh, there's one skip in the middle of that. But so for the last 15 weeks, the last three months, believe it or not, uh, going through the book of Zechariah. And for this journey, uh, we now reach the last chapter. And there's part of this that is bittersweet. Uh, we come to a close of what I believe is some good foundational teaching that was from the prophecies of Zechariah. Um, yet at the same time, when you're, you're on something for three months or more than three months, there's a certain part where it's, yeah, it's time for us to jump to something else. But we want to wrap this up understanding Zechariah 14. And so for months... I've been talking about the coming of Jesus, his death on the cross for us, his strength in our lives, his impact in our lives, knowing knowing God is there for us and God's protection over us. And that message is repeating over and over in the book of Zechariah. And in the last three weeks, chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, these images of on that day and getting to the end of Zechariah's prophecy. And it culminates, it, it reaches its climax here in Zechariah chapter 14. And so as we get to chapter 14, we start to look on that final day. What does that look like? Those final moments of what we know of our world today. When I started to look at Zechariah 14 and reading about it and, and going through it, it brought to my memory, and I'm going to jump off right away with a song from, from the, uh, believe it or not, I had to look this up to see who actually sung it. It was from the Oak Ridge Boys. Now, I don't know how many people are familiar with the Oak Ridge Boys, but they sang a song, and it said, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Now, I don't know if those lyrics are familiar to you. Um, and my mom or dad must have played that on the radio or on a record player or an old eight-track tape or whatever it was back in that day. And, you know, but many, you know, this whole image of this end-time event and what's going to take place and the excitement about the end-time event. And as Christians, we should have an excitement about this end-time event. Yet at the same time, there's an aspect of this end-time event that is also doom for those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. And so as we want to take chapter 14 and wrap it all up in a summary, we could actually wrap this whole chapter up and just say, it's all over. It's done. It's finished. It's all over. If I wanted to wrap this whole thing up in, in a couple of words, it's all over. There's five sections in this chapter. I'm going to go through all five, check, chat, uh, five sections. I'm going to blaze a trail, move through it quickly, uh, as quick as I can for us to understand these five sections and to go through them. And as with parts of the other t chapters 12, 13, and 14, we're looking at snapshots. We're looking at images 
again, I described when I started this uh, a couple weeks ago, Zechariah has on the floor all of these old photographs. He's open up, opening up the tin can of old photographs. There's no order. There's no sequence, but they're there. And he pulls them out, and he, and he sees them, and he says, okay, here's the prophecy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. And he reaches in the can, and here's another one. This is what God is saying. And as we go through chapter 14, we get the same thing with these final five images that are brought forth from Zechariah. And so with this, we get this one last big picture where it is finished. And so jump right in. Look at the first couple of verses, what I would call the final battle. A day is coming where this battle is going to uh, take place. The imagery we have in verses 1 and 2, and I'm not going to reread them again for you, but the imagery we have is gruesome. It's terrible. And when you start to talk about the plunder and and the the ransacking and, and everything else that is in those first two verses, that is not a pleasant picture. But there is going to be a final battle. Uh, the savagery of war is is terrible. It, it's awful. And those kinds of things are happening in the world even today as we speak here this morning. But with this imagery, there is a day when the possessions, everything that was held dear to them, everything that was held sacred to them would be wiped out and would be gone. Um, today we're sheltered from this. Most, most of the time in our country we are sheltered from war. I, I have never lived and, and experienced, and most likely you haven't either, where an invading force has come in and literally you, you run from your house with the shirt on your back where everything is gone. But we do get a glimpse of this, and we even this past week we had a glimpse of it if you were watching the news when natural disasters take place. A natural disaster comes in, and we've seen the news stories with a woman standing in front of her home, or at least what used to be her home, and she's standing there weeping because everything that her family ever had is gone. Every treasure, every memory, every possession, everything is gone. It's wiped out. We, we had a terrible hurricane this past week. And, and with it, you have people that are going back to their homes and there's nothing there. And, and this is the kind of imagery that Zechariah is bringing forth with the final battle that's going to happen when, when Jesus Christ comes and we have this fi- final battle where everything that was held dear to the world is going to be wiped out. It's going to be destroyed. And in the final battle, the population of the world is going to gather and it's going to stand against God and attempt to stand against God, and everything will be ransacked. Everything will be destroyed. And the plunder will be given back to the people of God. And so the people of God who are with Jesus Christ, who are with God, who who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are in a relationship with God, they actually receive the plunder. And... And when you think about the plunder, I don't want you to think about cars and houses and gold and, and that kind of plunder. I, I want you to think about the plunder that has been taken from us. What, what will be given back to the people of God is things like their openness to worship the Lord without any hiding. There's places in the world today where if you want to worship the Lord, you must go and hide in your house. And be secretive about it. We, we, we still have the privilege of being open about it. If you want to stand on the street corner in Newville and sing how great thou art, go ahead and do it. And, and you can do that today. But if you do that in some countries in our world, you are thrown in jail and maybe executed for singing how great thou art on the street corner. That's a reality. That kind of treasure will be given back to God's people. That they will be able to openly praise the Lord. They will be able to speak about God. They will be able to praise God. They will not be restricted in any way. They won't have to hide as a Christian, they'll be able to have their voice brought back. 
They won't be silenced by anyone who wants to take away their voice. And all of those treasures, all of those plunders, all of the things that are Christian values will be able to be poured back into those that follow Jesus Christ. And that plunder is brought back to them. We end up with a split of the people where half of the people in exile and, and the rest of the people will, will, be not, will not be taken from this city. We have people that are following God and we have people that don't follow God. And there becomes a division during the final battle where God comes and fights a battle for his people. We have the security that God gives to us and God's people will remain in security for all eternity. From the battle, I'm going to jump into the next picture from the final battle and jump into what we can call a fabulous flight. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us, For our struggle is not against, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I share this because as we struggle more and more in this world today, we have to keep in mind we are struggling against the forces of evil. I'm not struggling against people. I'm struggling against the forces of evil. And in this fabulous flight that happens in the next section of verses, going from verses 3 through 5, we read about this flight, this day when the feet of the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives. We don't have to take this as His physical feet hitting the Mount of Olives. If I do, then I get into trouble when I get into the verse in some of the next verses because then I'm told that the Lord my God will come again later on in verse 5. So we have this dividing that happens, this opening up that happens. There is going to be a day where every Christian is going to be swept away. Now, how God's going to do that, that's in God's hand. But at some point, God will come down and make a way. We're told in these verses that the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. We're making a big way, east to west. And then we're told that we have this division from north to south. And this gets divided up, and it creates a way for God's children, God's people, how God miraculous does it, for Him to gather us all to Him. I don't know if Jesus Christ is going to circle the globe and gather us all up on the way around and stop again. I don't know how it's happening, but I do know the day is coming coming where those who follow Jesus Christ are going to be swept away and those that are standing against God are going to try and come against him. But those that follow Jesus Christ are going to be with him. And we have this image of you will flee by my mountain valley, you will, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake. If the earth starts trembling right now and this room starts splitting in two, I know I'm running. I know I'm running. And I think you would too. If you saw a tsunami coming and the big wave was coming, I think you would turn tail and run. I think if you saw a bear that was coming down the trail, you would turn tail and run. And do you know how you get away from a bear that's chasing you? Huh? No, just run faster than the other person with you. Just... But when disaster comes, when disaster comes, we're going to flee. And God's going, to, God's going to light up the eastern sky with all of His glory. And when He comes, we're going to know it. And God's going to say, come on, let's go. And we're going to turn tail and we're going to run. Sam, no cane. No cane? You're going to be running faster than me, most likely. And, and moving along. And, and God's going to sweep us all up in an instant where we will be with Him and we will be with Him for all eternity. And God makes a way for that. And that's why I call this a fabulous flight. Because we need to be ready. And when God comes, we go. 
Matthew 24, verse 42, Therefore, keep watch. This is Jesus' word. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Keep watch, because you don't know when that day is coming. But when it comes, I'm running. And I hope you're running too. And we're running to our Lord and Savior as He snatches us up to be with Him for all eternity. When the bridegroom, bridegroom comes, we must be ready. There's that old song, Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning. Right? Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. That, that whole imagery of, of being the bridesmaid, waiting for our bridegroom to come to take us away and keep the Holy Spirit in my life, Lord, and keep me focused on You so that way when that day comes and the eastern skies light up, that I can run to You as You snatch me away as Your follower. And that we're ready. And when Jesus comes, we don't find ourselves off wandering away somewhere, but we find ourselves ready to run to God. And as believers of Jesus Christ, we will rejoice when we get to that day. We'll be ready for His kingdom and ready to live with Him for all eternity. Fabulous, a final battle, a fabulous flight, and it's going to take us into the next verses, 6 through 11, and look at a flourishing kingdom. Verses 6 starts to give us this picture of there will be no light, no cold, or frost. I can't help but saying, but it will be an April 25th type of day. Not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. I know some of you get it, some don't. That's okay. Come to my house someday and watch the movie. Beautiful, beautiful day. We get this flourishing kingdom of God where God brings us into His presence and we don't have to worry about the elements anymore. It, it's not going to be too light. It's not going to be too cold. It's not going to have to worry about frost. It's going to be a unique day. It's not going to have daytime. It's not going to have nighttime. It's known to the Lord. It's not known to me. It's known to the Lord. Now, if you enjoy beautiful sunrises and beautiful sunsets, I don't know how God's going to work that out, but I know He will work it out because He is God. And the beauty of His creation is not going to go away. It's going to be more beautiful than ever. But I know that it will be a perfect day, a flourishing kingdom when we get to the presence of God and understand how great it is. When evening comes, there will be light. Today, when evening comes, what do we have? Dark, sunset. We're told that when evening comes, there will be light. There will be light forever because Jesus Christ will be the one who illuminates the world, that His glory will shine and give us that beauty forever and ever. Romans 13:12 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's where we're headed. In verses 8 through 11 of Zechariah 14, we get figurative, figurative images of this new Jerusalem. Uh, we can't take them as literal, and I want to explain a little bit why we can't take them as literal. When you read through the Bible, you, we have certain passages in the Bible that say there will be no more sea. If you're a deep sea fisherman, I'm sorry you're out of luck because the Bible says there will be no more sea. Yet I'm reading Zechariah 14 and it says that there is a river that flows to the sea. I have to wash those two things together. And I have to get to the point that I have a figurative type language in verses 8 through 11 that describe the end times. It's the power of God. When we read about this river that is flowing from God, it doesn't have to be a physical river. It's this beautiful power of God that flows into our lives and flows into all creation. We even taste that today 
When I prayed earlier and said about taste and see that the Lord is good or be still and know that He is God, we, we have the graces of God imparted to us today. We get to experience the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives today. And with all of those graces of God being poured into us, we get to see a part of heaven today. But when we get to heaven, it's going to be perfect. And God's grace flowing into us and then flowing into all creation and being part of there. Our worship to God will be pure. Right now, prayer stirs our heart. I can't imagine what it will be in heaven when we talk to God face to face. Worship stirs our heart now. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we stand before God, fall on our knees and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and praise Him and sing how great Thou art in front of the presence of God. And that's the flourishing kingdom that awaits us in a time of perfection as God brings it about. The flourishing kingdom keeps going in... Okay, we'll keep on going this way. When we get to heaven, what a beautiful, beautiful kingdom is going to be. And the flourishing kingdom continues in verse 9, reminding us that there's no other God but God himself. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only name. See, today, there are gods all over the place, little gods with a lowercase g. And they're distracting everything in the world today. They're leading people astray pulling us in all kinds of different directions. There will be one God in heaven, one God, and only one God, and everything else will be destroyed. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God exalted Him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that the tongue and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the taste of what we get in heaven. That is the glory of what we get. And we're doing another sound check. There we go. We're back on. When we get to heaven, we'll understand that all of those other things that we were distracted by are now gone. And we have one God and only one God that we should be worshiping. We continue with this imagery of the, of the holy city, of the Benjamin Gate, the corner gate, the tower, and all of this about the heavenly city. When you look in the, in the Bible and go to the book, book of Revelation, you get a picture of heaven. And I want to reiterate it here to understand how beautiful this city of God is and how massive the city of God is. Revelation describes the city of God as 1,400 miles. Depending on your translation, you could say 1,500, but we'll go with the smaller of the size. 1,400 miles long. 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. I saw a picture on the Internet. If you took it and made a big cube, the New Jerusalem, and made a big cube, you have this monstrous cube that literally consumes all of that whole Israel area. Monstrous. It is so high it will be out into outer space. I want to give you the, I told Patty this one yesterday. If you had a building and built a building inside the New Jerusalem to give you an idea of how 
huge this New Jerusalem is, our heavenly home descended right down here on earth. If you would build a building and assuming that each floor has 12 feet, and that's pretty generous for a skyscraper, 12-foot floors, do you know how many floors would be in the building? 600,000 floors in the building. I can't imagine getting in the elevator. I can't imagine getting in the elevator with a kid who likes to push all the buttons. <laughs> 600, put, picture that in your mind. And this is God who has gone to prepare a place for you. The God who loves you so much that he says, where I am, there you may be also. The God who is preparing this beautiful city, this monstrous city for all of his children to go and dwell in, to be there in safety. And when I was thinking about the walls and I was thinking about how high it is, during those final days, as this city comes down, it's protected everywhere. To me, it's a beautiful sign of God's protection that not even a bird... See, a bird can't fly up into outer space and come back down. And I was thinking about this, 1,400 miles high. Not even an evil bird could fly in there. Not even an angry bird could fly into the New Jerusalem, the place where God has prepared for us. It's a beautiful place, the holy city of God. Nothing will ever destroy it, and the people of God will be there for all eternity. It will be inhabited, never again will it be destroyed, and Jerusalem will be secure. Jerusalem, God's holy church, the people of God, His holy church. A final battle, a fabulous flight, flourishing kingdom, and we get to a fatal end. Verses 12 through 15 give us a picture of the final destruction of everyone who stands against God. All through the centuries, everyone who has stood against his church, everyone who has stood against Christianity, everyone who is against the ways of God, are struck down with a plague. Now I want us to stop here and understand, I can rejoice over Zechariah 14. And I can rejoice over the heavenly city that God's prepared for us. I can rejoice over the fact that he is making a way that his children will be snatched away and we'll have this flight where we get to that place of God and we're with him. I can rejoice over the final battle. But when I get to this, these verses, I don't think on this side of heaven as Christians we should ever rejoice. We should actually be very somber. Because the person sitting next to you who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may be facing this someday. Your neighbor across the street, to your left or your right, wherever your home is, if they, if they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are going to face this one day. Anyone who is not a child of God, anyone who is not a child of God will face this fatal end. This side of heaven, I don't see it as a place of rejoicing, I actually see it as a place of, of mourning, a place of woe, a place of concern, a place where our prayers should be to quicken the hearts of those that do not know God so that they come to understand who He is. And if God wants to use our voice in our lives to impact them in a way that they come to know Him as well. It's a day that awaits, and it's a day of dread. Zechariah brings images pat from images from Israel's past into light before them. Images of their flesh rotting off their bodies while they're still on their feet. Their eyes rot in their sockets. Tongues rot in their mouths. 
day where people will be stricken with great panic. You can go back and read through the Old Testament, the battles where Israel didn't do anything. Battles where you have armies just killing themselves and destroying themselves. I think in, in this day of this final day of destruction, God's not going to have to do anything. We, we live there sort of today. You don't have to do anything. You just sort of have to step back and watch people devour each other and destroy each other. To do it with words and even do it with actions. And there will be a final day, this fatal end of everything that stands against God. It even reaches down and we get into this verse 15. The plague strikes horses and mules and camels and donkeys. Anything that stands against God will be destroyed. Verse 14 in the middle gives us another picture of the church of, of God where we are following God Judah too will fight with, at Jerusalem the church itself will stand there and be with God and be part of this battle and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected again I talked about this earlier all of the wealth not, not I don't have to be financially rich in heaven I have everything that God has ever given us but I do need to have the graces of God and those things are returned to us as children of God our job as a, ch as a church is to be a light shining in the world to help people to avoid this final end, this terrible, terrible fatal end that awaits them. We have a final battle, a fabulous flight, a flourishing kingdom, a fatal end. And this is where we will end up as God's children. The last verses from verse 16 all the way through the end of the chapter, this is where we will end up as God's children. We will celebrate Jesus. We will celebrate Jesus. For, for then and for all eternity. We are given the imagery of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles this year is from October 2nd through the 9th. If you want to look forward to a day, maybe we'll celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in heaven this year. God knows. And if you want to really mark your calendar, the Feast of Trumpets is coming up on September 18th through the 20th. So keep your eyes up. If God's going to come back, personally, I can't prove it by Scripture, but if God's going to come back, I think He's going to do it in the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, this trumpet will sound and we'll be called up. I, I don't know. That's Ralph speaking, not, not the Lord. Keep our eyes up, but we will celebrate with God. The Feast of, of Tabernacles, I want you to understand the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, I don't think we can understand this without it. Jerusalem, was, the people of Israel were headed to the Promised Land, headed to where God wanted them to be. And they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, in the desert. God was working in their lives. God was doing a great work in their lives. God was weeding out those who were not following Him and those who would follow Him before they would cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. All during that time, God's hand of protection was over them. God was in front of them. God was behind them. God was over them. God provided for them. God gave them sandals on their feet that did not wear out, clothes that did not wear out. For 40 years, they went through that wilderness, and God's providence was over them. As a celebration for that, as a remembrance of God's protection for them for 40 years, they would have a time of feasting and celebrating and praise to God that they called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And they would go into Jerusalem and the surrounding area and they would build booths out of sticks and they would all live in these little huts and they would just praise God for those days of the Feast of Tabernacle because God's sovereign hand was over them. God's protection was over them. God carried them through that entire time of 40 years in the wilderness. 
There's a certain aspect in our lives right now. We, we walk through the wilderness. God's working in our lives, but the enemy keeps attacking us. We are attacked with sickness and disease. We are attacked with strife. There are people in the world who are giving up their lives for Jesus Christ, literally giving up their lives for Jesus Christ. We are walking through a wilderness. We are walking through this. But there is a day where we will get to heaven and we will look back and we will say, God, your hand, your hand was on us in such a mighty way. And you were in front of us and you were behind us and you were over us. You provided for us. You gave us shoes to wear and clothes to wear and everything that we needed. And in hindsight, we will look back and we will say, wow, this is going to be like the Feast of Tabernacles in heaven because we're going to praise God for his sovereign control over our lives, his providence over our lives and how he took care of us and that's when we get to heaven and we rejoice like the feast of tabernacles all over again but this time it's God's church and his and when i say God's church all of the Jewish believers and all of the Christian believers anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved will be in heaven celebrating the feast of tabernacles because of God's wonderful hand that has been upon us as we walked and journeyed through this world. And there's where the Feast of Tabernacles comes into this picture. We will go up and we will worship the King, the Lord Almighty. We're given images in these verses about those who, uh, those who were against the Lord, who now are going up to worship the Lord. I don't know about you, but I do know about me. There was a time in my life, and I really do know about you, but there was a time in my life where I was against the Lord. Who was against the Lord? Anyone who does not follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is against the Lord. You're either for or against. There's no middle. There's no, I'm working this out. I'm trying to understand what I believe. So I'm sort of in the middle. No, there's no fence sitting in the kingdom of God. You're either in or you're out. You're either a believer in Jesus Christ, and so you're in, or you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and so you're still out. But before we believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I wasn't in. I was out. And so I was against the Lord. And so when we get to this imagery in these last verses, understand, when it talks, when these verses talk about those who were against God, who are now worshiping God, all of us were attacking God at one point in our lives. And we came to a point where we said, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to live for Him. And that point, I'm no longer attacking Him. I'm serving Him. But we go back to the reality there are those who do attack God. And God will wipe them out. They won't have any rain because they won't exist. They'll be cast in the lake of fire. They'll be cast away. Jesus and even John in the book of Revelation describes both of those places where those who are outside the city of God would be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And those on the inside would be ever rejoicing over God's goodness. Egypt in these verses is a symbol of sin, of disobedience, of unforgiveness. People who will receive the punishment of God. Verses 20 through 21 tells us of the power of God, where the power of God lies, the righteousness of God, the purity of God. I love the fact that even the pots will be holy to God. There will be nothing in our eternity that will be unholy. Nothing at all. Even the cooking pots will be holy to God. You know, the pot that you're making your spaghetti dinner this afternoon in will be holy to God. Every aspect of our lives will be holy to God. 
And as we get to those verses in 20 and 21, they're the descriptions that we're getting. The Lord will be the holy of ho- holy of holies. Holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses. Even the animals will be holy to God. The cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. altar. Everything pure, everything holy, and that's where we will spend all eternity, where we rejoice. The last couple sentences, and on that day there will be no longer... There will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Again, there will be no sin in our eternal home. I won't have to worry about sin and neither will you because God will completely destroy it. Okay, I reached the end. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? Jesus gives us multiple pictures of the end times. Multiple pictures of the end times. Jesus gives us pictures where there will be a division between the sheep and the goats. We're either a goat or we're a sheep. Jesus gives us pictures of where there will be wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the weeds. And there's a division between the two where the wheat are taken away and then the chaff is all burned off. Jesus gives us the words where he says in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The question that has to touch each of our lives is where do I fit into Zechariah 14? I have this beautiful picture of our eternal home, and yet at the same time, I have the dismal picture of what happens when I don't follow God. And so when I go back to the words of Jesus Christ where He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Me, I have to come back and ask the question, in regards to eternity, which way are you headed? Which way are you headed? Is it with Jesus Christ in the place that He has prepared for you? Or is it off on your own way? where the final end is separation from God for all eternity. I can't answer for you. I really can't. I can answer for Ralph. I can't even answer for my wife, my children, grandchildren. can't answer for my parents. But each and every one of us needs to be able to answer that very specific question. Jesus Christ chooses to come back on September 18th and the trumpet sounds and the eastern sky lights up. Am I going to be running to Him because I'm a child of God? Or am I going to be cowering in fear because the end has come? I'm not trying to scare anybody. But I want us to all be able to walk away from Zechariah 14 and the entire prophecy of Zechariah and say I'm ready I have asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior I have asked for forgiveness of my sins and when that eastern sky lights up when Jesus comes back I'm going with him and I want you to be able to confidently say that today yes yes I'm going with him. Today's your day to make that choice.
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. We have an altar in front of our church. It's a place of prayer. And I know I don't do a whole lot of altar calls and invite people to come forward to pray. But there's times in our lives where we need to look at our own lives and say, should I be at that altar praying and saying, Jesus Christ, I want your forgiveness in my life. I want today to be the day where I'm heaven bound and I'm following God. And so I invite you, no music playing, no songs playing. I'm not asking anybody to even bow their head because if we're brave enough to make a public testimony, to make a public testimony with everybody's eye upon us, to say, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior because I want to be heaven-bound. I want to give you that opportunity in the next couple of minutes to be able to come forward as God speaks to you. Just come and you can stand at the altar if you can't kneel. If you want to kneel on the ground and pray to God. And I know there's people in the church that will come, that will pray with you. If you're on the internet listening to the sermon, reach out to the church. Call us on the phone. We'll answer. But allow today, 100% in confidence, I'm heaven bound. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to speak into each of our lives. But even as I pray, if God's speaking to you and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to this altar in the front and to say, yes, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow Him. Let's pray together, and I invite you to come and pray. Heavenly Father, You've given us this, I'll call it, crazy prophecy from Zechariah. Crazy for us in 2020. It certainly rang true in the hearts of the people of Judah Zechariah's day. But the message still stands clear with us, Lord. You have gone to prepare a place for us that where you are, we may be also. But we know, Lord, it's only, only if we have asked you for forgiveness of sins and we have made the choice that you will be the Lord of our life. You, that you will be the one that we follow with all of our ways. So we pray this morning, Lord, convict our hearts, help us to make the decision in our own hearts that I want to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to understand what it means to turn from sin to repent and ask for forgiveness. Help us to understand, Lord, that your love for us is so great. 
Jesus died on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven. May today be the day of salvation in each of our lives. Lord, I ask for your blessing. I ask for you to bless us and to keep us, for your face to shine upon us. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you continue to draw us closer to you. Draw us into every day into a more meaningful and deeper relationship with you. That your word comes alive in our hearts. We find ourselves following you. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to be upon us, for your hedge of protection around us. During these confusing days, Lord, continue to have your hedge of protection around us. Continue to give us wisdom. Continue to give us love for one another. And continue to help our eyes to be open to the needs of others so we can serve those around us. You're a great God. Wonderful, wonderful, glorious, glorious Lord that we serve. I know your Holy Spirit will go with us as you promised. May we find ourselves walking the paths that you have for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you and strengthen you. Have a glorious, wonderful week.